1: According to your lawsuit, you say it was a $4,000 down payment and he's paid $2,000. So you do know how much a down payment that you put is. It's $4,000, right? Why are you saying you don't know how much?
2: This is the plaintiff, Shannon Marie Biel. She says she and the defendant were dating, and they moved in together, then decided to buy a house together. Unfortunately, kids got in the way of their relationship, which fell apart. Now the defendant refuses to repay her the $2,000 she laid out for the down payment on the house. She doesn't want anything else from this guy, just the $2,000 she still owed, and that's why she's suing him. This is the defendant, Tyler Bump. He says he paid the plaintiff back $2,000 on the $4,000 she put down on the house. But when she left, she took whatever she needed from the house. He was very generous with her, in fact. They're more than you, since he paid for all the expenses on the house for the three years they lived there together and owes her nothing more. He's accused letting a lady friend down. All parties, please raise your right hands. What you are about to witness is real. The litigants are not actors. They are involved in legitimate disputes, and they have agreed to have those disputes settled here in our forum, the People's Court. People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge
3: Marilyn Monroe is not presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor.
1: Thank you, sir. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay, Ms. Beal, talk to me. You used to date Mr. Bump?
4: Yes, I did. We... St- I believe we started we got together around August September and I had my own place and we were of dating what year? and then uh, 2016.
1: Okay? So go on.
4: I had my own place and something happened in between that where I kind of paid my rent a little late and so he was nice and had me and my kid move in with him and we lived together till 2017 until we bought
1: the house in 2018. Okay. And how old is your kid?
4: Right now he's fourteen.
1: Okay. Um, and then what happens? You decide to buy a house. Yes, we
4: waited till I got my tax money, and I also got a second job to help pay for everything. So with my tax money, is that what we use to move into
1: a new house? All right. So you, your tax money was how much?
4: It was about eight thousand.
1: I have it right well, how here. How much did you put?
4: I'm not sure exactly how much I put down because my how money... Mu-
1: You're suing for, for $2,000, and according to your lawsuit, you say it was a $4,000 down payment, and he's paid 2000 So you do know how much a down payment that you put is. It's 4000 right? Why are you saying you don't know how much?
4: Because I wasn't with him at the time when he did all the paperwork because
1: I wasn't allowed... Okay, Mr. To Bump, how much payment. of her money was used for the down payment for the house? It was $4,000. Can I ask you a question? Why doesn't she know anything about her own accounts?
5: Um, During that time, I was trying to help her get uh, financially stable. But at that time, she didn't have an exact bank account for her tax refund. And we were looking into getting the house and we needed the down payment in my account rather than having all these transfers go through. They said to have her direct deposit it into my account.
1: Okay. So, Ms. Beal, then what happened? We were together. We thought it was
4: working. I got my nephews. I have guardianship of three of my nephews at the time in his place when we were living there.
1: Uh, Can you give me a rough idea what happened, that you would all of a sudden have three more kids that he didn't bank on in that house in his name? What happened?
4: Well, my mom couldn't take my three nephews, and they were going to go to foster care, and I kind of sat down and talked to him about it, and... I did it without him knowing basically. How old were they? I had, he was two, 10 and 16 at the time. Oh
1: goodness, okay. All right, so what ends up happening, Ms. Beal?
4: Um, we're not getting along. Um, we were supposed to get married September. And when we broke up was right before my birthday is October 4th is when he kicked me out.
1: Okay, and and when you so say I kicked had- you out, what did he, what did he do?
4: He came with his mother, his father, and his best friend and told me I had to go. I had no time to look for anything. So what happened? With the kids.
1: With the nephews, yeah.
4: Well, I couldn't take care of them anymore because the financial and the housing and everything. So they they went back to the the state. The, uh, the Now he's three and the 10-year-old. I have the 17-year-old with me, actually.
1: And the other two are in foster care together or separately?
4: Um, they are together.
1: Good. Okay. Mr. Bump paid you part of the 4000 upon your departure, correct? Correct. What do you think he should have done if it turns out gave- that he's no longer happy because he didn't sign up for having all these kids? I think um, he should have gave me more time to look for a place. Because according to you, he made you leave right that second. Yes, he did. And that was something he had planned? Did you get the impression he had planned it, and that's why he had his family there?
4: I got the impression because I was trying to be with him that night before, and he got upset and left that night and told me the next day I had to go. He was not comfortable with me trying to hook
1: up with him while we were not together. Okay, Mr. Bump, tell me your side of things. So
5: we had had some issues about 10 months prior to us breaking up. where just we weren't getting along personally. And also I was having some issues with her eldest son. And eventually we had worked a couple things out. We had started talking about, uh, you know, trying to just see where things go from there. And then about a month later, she adopted her nephews. But um, after about 10 months of them being there, I started to just get overwhelmed with everything. I had not signed up for it. I was willing to be there for her and her her sons, not not her nephews and her extended family out like that. So I did end things about two weeks prior to the, the day that I did ha- ask her to leave my house. Um, I was in the process of also talking to a realtor to try to find another house so she would have a place to stay with the kids. But after that night where she did try to make advances at me, I just told her I didn't feel comfortable staying in the house. I had my mom come and get my dog and I had my di- I did have my dad and, and my best friend there just to you know, make sure nothing got out of hand or you know, everything was kept calm. So Okay.
1: So what so you tell her you have to go in front of them, which is kind of embarrassing, but I think you're actually very wise to do that if you're expecting any kind of trouble or pushback because then you can't get accused of something. Um, and that was probably what you were thinking in your head. And so you tell her you have to leave, and you have to leave right this second? I mean, and where was she going to go?
5: She had a few places she could have stayed. She has her uh, kids, grandmothers, her mom. Like I said, I was trying to help where find her a place you go, at one
4: point. Ms.
1: Beale? Where did you go?
4: At that point in time, I got the one-bedroom, and I
1: moved in right away with no security deposit, no nothing. Okay, okay. So let me ask you, Mr. Beal, she says you still owe another $2,000. When did you pay the first 2000 by the way?
5: Um, I paid it as soon as I got my taxes, around March, I believe.
1: When is that in relation to when you guys broke up? Is it after, uh, it it's was after you broke about, up? Because you broke up in October. Yes. Okay, so you pay her 2000 in March, and why haven't you paid her the, the remainder?
5: For the last three years, um, you know, I knew she was, just trying to build herself back up. So I have paid for the mortgage, the rent, electric, water, any sort of bills that we had accumulated, I was paying for. Um, I bought her a car at one point and then leased a second one for her, um, which she still has. I bought her a motorcycle because she wanted to start riding with me.
1: But why, I'm trying to understand, what is your theory if in March you realize I owe her $4,000, I better start paying, let me pay her $2,000 what on earth is the difference between March and today? You're thinking about it and it occurs to you that you paid more in the relationship than she did? That's your answer?
5: I also offered her the motorcycle that I bought for her as a settlement, which was a total of $4,000. And she said, I don't want the motorcycle. I I want money. And I said, well, I'm not going to get stuck paying for a motorcycle that you wanted and pay you $4,000. That's not gonna happen. But you
1: agreed to pay her the $4,000. And you pay her $2,000 of the $4,000. And now, in retrospect, you're looking back and say, do you really think that courts are equipped to separate the pots and pans of couples' relationships? To sit there and say, who had the salad? Who had the soda? We don't do that. We don't sit there and say, well, he paid for most stuff, so all loans are forgiven. That's not how it works. Either you intended to pay her back or you didn't intend to pay her back. And the fact that you paid her the 2000 kind of tells me you intended to pay her back. I just don't know what is different between March and now that made you change your mind.
5: Um, when I had signed the piece of paper that she does have in evidence saying that I was going to pay the $4,000, I did sign that under distress. Yeah. She came to my house. She brought the little one with her, and was. we started to argue about it, and she's like, I'm not leaving until I sign it. And because I didn't want there to be an issue, nobody was at my house to just make sure nothing got out of control. So I signed it out of distress so she would leave my house.
1: Okay, the word is duress, not distress, although you may also have been distressed. And that's not legal duress. Legal duress is very different. It's not... Uh, I wanted to avoid a scene, so I signed a contract. You signed the contract, but aside from that, I know from your conversations that it, in fact, was the amount and that you intended to pay her back because you paid her. So you know what? Pay her the rest of the money, $2,000 verdict for the plaintiff. Good luck, folks. Thank you.
6: So the defendant is on the hook to pay the $2,000 to the plaintiff. Let's talk to him now. Mr. Bump, you heard the judge. What do you think?
5: It's the judge's decision. I still feel that I um, did not owe her the full amount just because I did offer to pay for, you know, give her the motorcycle in payment. But, you know, that's what the judge ruled. So I guess that's what's got to happen.
6: Well, the point is you promised to pay her. That's why you've got to live up to that promise. Must have been hard to kick her out of your house that night, wasn't it? I mean, that's tough. She, you were going to get married at one point. Now you're kicking her out.
5: Yeah, nothing Nothing about this has been easy. Um I've had to make a lot of adjustments in my life, and you know it it wasn't difficult or uh, was was a difficult decision to make to have to have relief, but it was the thing that I needed to have happen
6: so is it over now altogether between you two or not?
5: Yes, it is completely over
6: all right well, you got to give her two thousand dollars, so it won't be over until you do that. Let's talk to Ms Beale now and see how she feels about the the judge's verdict ma'am. What's your reaction?
4: I am happy with the decision and if it was on the other way, where if it was his family, I would have done the same thing. It's all about family, and that's how it's going to be. And if a man can't step up, then he's not a man.
6: Yeah. Let me ask you about the night you got kicked out of the house. You, you didn't make it sound like it was terrible. Yeah, a terrible experience for you, but it had to have been. It must have been really tough.
4: Oh, yeah. I was very emotional, and it was just hard. It was three years we were together. He was talking about marriage. and. Things happen for a reason, I guess.
6: Do you think it's best now that it's all over between you? Yes, I do. Okay. I'm not surprised. Thank you very much. You're going to get your money. Now, let's join Judge Million and her husband, Judge John, for another after the verdict discussion.
7: This was an emotional case, uh, and certainly uh, people like Ms. Beale and those uh, folks who step up when unpredictable things happen in life and they take in family members, friends, and... Uh, will parent children like that, uh, their reward is in heaven for, for that type of selfless act. And certainly we all respect that. But at the end of the day, your decision really came down to a promise to pay, a promissory note for $4,000 on which only 2000 have had been paid, correct?
1: Yeah, it was very clear. I mean, I I don't know why he changed his mind, um, you know, in the answer to the complaint, he talked about how she we I let her take any furniture she wanted, that's not... I, I didn't believe that, and then I, Then that's not even what he said. Then he right. talked about all the other money that he had spent during the relationship. None of that matters. He unless, may really
7: feel that way, that yeah. m- money went that other way, but you can't assess the promissory note with that type of evidence after the fact.
1: Right, and that's certainly not duress. And right. I have to be honest with you. Like I, I think that what she was doing was very, very commendable, stepping up like that. And I understand that she felt like he should too, but at the end of the day, those aren't his nephews. And right. they're not married. That's right. And, um, you know, everyone has a right to be happy. It's not as though they were married and he knew them well and then right. this happened. It's not, she, she kind of made clear that she talked to him about it, but didn't get his approval. Just all of a sudden the kids end up there. Right. And he tried to make it work for 10 months. So. Right. Um, I don't know that we can fault him for anything other than not ponying up the other two grand.
7: I guess I agree with you, we shouldn't be judging him on yeah.
1: that basis. Yeah, but, but you know, it, I, I, my hat's off to her that even in her you know, tough predicament, she was willing to try to step up um, as, as the aunt and hopefully those boys will remember that the rest of their lives.
7: Let's hope so.
8: Jay, I got to tell you, it was a thrill working with Ed Koch, the former mayor of New York on the People's Court when we started the second round. Um, he is such an interesting guy, such an important guy. And I will tell you something. Ed and I went to a Tina Turner concert in at Radio City Music Hall. And we walked in. And I swear to you, The applause he got just walking down the aisle was as big as Tina Turner, seriously. That'll do it for this case. Litigants for the next case on the way into the courtroom right now.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly thirty years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I dot com.
2: This is the plate of Barry Glynn. He says he was driving down the interstate minding his own business when a huge chunk of ice came flying off the defendant's truck, striking his windshield, splintering it. He pulled up next to the truck. The driver ignored him. The defendant refuses to pay the cost of a new windshield. And he's suing in the name of justice for the $367.91 he owed. This is the defendant, Danny Young. He says his trucks have a tracking system on them, and the plate number the plaintiff gave shows the truck was not in that area the day of this so-called ICE incident. The guy doesn't have any insurance. He thinks he'll just pay it to make him go away, but he's here fighting for his justice today and refuses. He's accused of giving the guy a cold shoulder.
8: All parties, please, your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff says he was driving on the interstate when all of a sudden a huge chunk of ice flew off the defendant's truck and slammed into his car, damaging it. The defendant is saying this guy is making it up because it didn't happen. It's the case of giving somebody the cold shoulder.
1: Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay, Mr. Glenn, tell me what happened to you. You are driving on December 18th on I-95. What time?
9: It was approximately 9.15 in the morning because I was going to a doctor's appointment in the VA hospital at 10.
1: Okay, and what happens?
9: Um, as I'm driving, I I thought it was about to snow or something was happening because my windshield wipers went on. And then I realized I had a truck next to me that looked more like a comet than a truck because things were just flying off of it. So I, I backed my car up a little bit. So that the windshield of would go off and all of a sudden a large piece of ice slid off and came into my lane and hit, hit my windshield.
1: Okay, what did you do?
9: Well, first of all, I was shocked. Uh, I tried to pull up next to the driver and I was honking and pointing to my window uh, just to try to get his attention. He looked at me and then basically looked back at the road. I said, oh, this is gonna be a problem. So I, I pulled over behind the truck and I wrote down the name that I saw on the truck and the license plate number.
1: All right, let me ask you this. When do you contact Quality Roofing?
9: Um, probably the next day.
1: In your complaint, here's what you say. In your complaint, you say, a week later, I went and told the defendant that as I was driving, Between exit 45 and 44, a piece of ice flew off of one of his trucks and hit my car. Why do you say a week later if it was the next day?
9: I called the next day. A a week later, I physically went there. I, I thought this was going to be a fairly simple matter.
1: All right, Mr. Young, you're the owner of Quality Roofing, right?
3: Yes, I am, Your Honor.
1: All right, when do you first learn of any of this? Uh, the
3: the message that I got is that it happened at one forty five p.m. on December eighteenth. Um,
1: okay, and who gave you that message saying it was one forty five p.m.?
3: That's what the receptionist told me when when uh, we got the call from Mr. Glenn.
1: Okay, did you ever tell the receptionist, Mr. Glenn, that it was at one forty five that it happened?
9: No, I think what he's saying is that the time in the afternoon after the doctor's appointment, and I got it back from the VA. That's the time that I initially called him. It's not when it happened.
1: I thought you said you it's called him the friend. next day. And I thought you said in your complaint that you called That's, him a week I, later. I, yeah. All right. Tell me, first, Mr. Young. First, first I called um, So what, how do you know where your trucks are? Tell me about the system that you have in place at your roofing company.
3: Okay, so we have a tracking system that is a satellite system that, pay, that we can see where all our trucks are at all the time at any given time.
1: Okay, when you say at any given time, does it generate a printout and uh, what causes a time to be logged? Uh, ignition it, off, it, ignition on. It
3: pings every three or four minutes, so we get you know we get a page okay. all day long every every four or five three or four or five minutes that says where the truck is.
1: Okay. How do I know that the records you gave me are the records for the license plate in question?
3: We know it by the by the person that is assigned that vehicle.
1: And the person assigned that vehicle is someone by the first name of Omar, correct? Correct. And you have provided us with the GPS records from that day. So I'm looking at it. He had highlighted for me the times involving 145 because he says that's what you had told him. But it's fine. So let's look at 915, the time you say it happened, okay? Okay.
9: Um, one entry, of, I could see, like it looked like eleven o'clock. There's an entry above it. What is the time of that entry?
1: Nine ten.
9: Right. So between nine ten and eleven o'clock, which is two hours, is every, ping every three minutes, seemed to have
3: failed.
1: Either that, or he's doing work. Right. So at nine ten on those records, Mister Young, what? Where is he?
3: At at nine ten, he's on you um, on Route One in New Haven, which is on the East Haven New Haven line at a at a car dealership. Okay, and how do you know that? Because that's your client. That's my client, and I have a copy of his uh, daily report about where he was at any given
1: time. Yeah. Okay, and how long was he at the dealership?
3: Um, he said that he left it uh, uh, according to the to the tracking system. He left the dealership at nine thirteen.
1: Now I don't see a 913, I see an 1113 is the next entry. Do you have something that says 913?
3: I do, yeah.
1: Okay, well then you've got a document I don't have. That's the one document I'm missing is the one that's relevant. So here's what I need you to do. Are you able to scan it and send it to us? Yes. Or take a picture of it and send it? Okay, perfect, can you do that now?
3: Okay, hold on just a minute.
1: Okay, thank you. Okay, gentlemen, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, Mr. Glenn, there's no smoking in court.
9: Yeah, I didn't realize you could see.
1: That's right. Okay. All right. Okay. I got to tell you, um, Mr. Young.
3: Yes, Your Honor.
1: You're a good man. Uh, Unfortunately, I often don't get that in litigation in front of me. Uh, You have now completed the circle. You thought that that the thing we were discussing had happened at 145, but the plaintiff maintains that it happened at 915. Can I ask you a question? Did you ever send the plaintiff any of these records before today? Uh, No, I didn't, Your Honor. Um, uh... Okay. So then there's no way he would know, because even I didn't have this particular page. This particular page shows your guy on I-95 at 915, right?
3: Yes, it does, Your Honor.
1: Okay. Can I just ask you a question, Mr. Young? Where did you get the idea that it happened at 145? That was... Through, relayed to you through the the secretary?
3: Yes. Yes, because that, that's when he called the office and we thought that he was saying that that's when it happened.
1: That it just and, happened. All right.
3: Right. When the secretary told me that he
1: had called,
3: I said to tell him to turn it into his, his insurance company and that if they wanted to, they would get in touch with our insurance company and handle it themselves. Um, and then when he came well, to he the office— Well, he could do that
1: or he could just claim it against you. He he, he can choose which way to go if he doesn't want—and it's a small he, amount. It's he, probably under the deductible.
3: And and, and so he, he came to my office and said that this happened, and I said to him, um, um I thought we made it clear that you should turn it into your insurance company and, and they could—I'm uh, not sure what the right word is—subjugate or whatever it is against su- us. Su- they, they,
1: could, they do subjugate, but it's subrogate. Subrogate. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah.
3: Uh, um, And that's the only conversation that we had directly.
1: Okay, so what I'm looking at is this. There was some confusion between everyone on what the time was. If the time is 9.15, the printout that you helpfully gave us actually shows your driver there at 9.15. He's got the license plate number. He's got the truck number. Seems like an awful lot of effort to just pin it on any available truck. It's not a large amount. According to him, he is watching stuff come off the truck um, beforehand, and that's what's calling his attention to it. I find it, I think that he has sustained the burden of proof in a civil case, which is just by a preponderance of the evidence. And um, I'm going to find in his favor, $367.91, verdict for the plaintiff.
6: So the plaintiff prevails. He's going to get the three hundred sixty-seven dollars. Mr. Young, the defendant. Let me ask you: What do you think of the judge's decision?
3: Um, I, if, if I honestly think that she made the right decision. Um, I didn't have the, the, the uh, correct information uh, in terms of when the accident happened. If I had known that it happened at the time that it happened, I would have seen it on my report and I would have paid Mr. Glenn.
6: Well, that's very good, good for you to say that. Did you, by the way, did you ever talk to the driver? I guess he really didn't know what was going on, did it? Because they didn't communicate with each other.
3: No, he did not. I asked him. I, I did. I did ask him if he knew of any such incident, and he told me no. Okay, very good. I, I, don't, I don't guess there's anything you can do to prevent that in the future, is there? I, I there really isn't. Um, the, the trucks have ladders on top, and they have material in the back, and and sometimes um, stuff like this happens. So I'm, I. Um, I I think it's very unfortunate. And again, if it wasn't for the time confusion, it would have been settled a long time ago.
6: Well, thank you very much. Very kind of you. All right, Mr. Glenn, you heard what he had to say. How do you feel about this? You feel uh, satisfied now?
9: Yeah, I do think it was the right decision. Um, It was no reason for me to make up a story. And I can see his confusion um, because he does have a GPS. And I'm, I'm familiar with that. I couldn't understand our GPS would say that his vehicle was not there at the time.
6: All righty. Well, congratulations. You're going to get your money after all. And that'll do it for this case. So let's hear a little more conversation about the case from our judges, Judge Marilyn and her husband, Judge John, and another edition of After the Verdict.
7: Everything about this case, about the testimony and the evidence, seemed to indicate to you that the defendant, who was on the hook for the judgment, was an honest businessman, a reputable businessman, who really didn't have every fact and detail that he needed to resolve it and pay the right. claim. Right.
1: I mean, we were all looking at 145, and um, because that was the only information that the defendant had given, and that's what he had highlighted. And if it weren't for the fact that the defendant was honest and said, wait a minute, there's a page missing in, in my stuff, let me send it to you, and then he sends it to me, and it, places them exactly there at 915. You know, I see so much um, heartache and animosity and vitriol as a judge, and I'm sure you did too right. in your time as a judge, it's always so nice when you hear litigants say, oh, yeah, no, now that I look at it, yeah, that's exactly right. what, and everybody's well, all in you agreement.
7: Had, you had honest people on both sides, and certainly the plaintiff didn't uh, have something come through his windshield and come up with a mysterious uh, neck injury or something that right. wasn't right. on the level, right. so, which is um, nice. But, you yeah. know, there
1: is there are laws in the Northeast that, you know, we just don't know about in South right. Florida and the tropics, but tell me about that. Well, and, you know.
7: in, in states like Connecticut, New Hampshire, I think Pennsylvania, New Jersey, there's a few states in the Northeast where it's such a common problem that ice and snow can fall off of a truck or a vehicle and cause damage or injury to someone else that some of them have laws that provide for criminal fines and penalties or even license suspensions on a second or subsequent offense. So,
1: But the theory that, oh, there's nothing we can do about this is completely incorrect. That's why right. they have criminal laws. Right. Um, because there is something you can do. You have a responsibility to be taking it off of your car and brushing it off so that you don't cause this danger to somebody else.
7: Right. And the experienced dri- drivers in the Northeast do that. You know, they yeah. knock north it off. And take north it
1: off of, of, of the country. Imagine right. anywhere like, you know,
7: oh, yeah. uh, oh, north yeah. of
1: the Mason Dixon line. Anywhere, anywhere where there's snow probably <laughs> has these rules. Absolutely.
7: There.
8: Okay. Justin, the reason you don't call the judge miss is that it is disrespectful and it is sexist. You would never call a male judge mister, and because it happens to be a woman, uh, you do not call a judge miss. There is a certain respect that you give judges. It is why they wear robes. It is why they are elevated and it's not ego. It is done because this is what people listen to. There is authority there and you respect the authority. Miss is both disrespectful and misogynistic. That'll do it for this case. Litigants for the next case on the way into the courtroom right now.
2: This is the plaintiff, Mary Ann. She says she rented an apartment to the defendant's nephew, who is blind. The defendant still owes her for unpaid rent, and she's tired of chasing her down for it. She has no other choice but to sue for the $700 she's owed. And since she wants her money, court seems to be the only way she has any chance of forcing her to pay up. This is the defendant, Sandra Foster. She says she has no idea why the plaintiff is suing her in the first place, because she has nothing to do with paying rent. This woman's trying to take advantage of people with disabilities. It's not right. And she thinks the judge is going to agree. She's accused of running out on rent responsibilities.
8: All parties. Please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff rented to the defendant's blind nephew and says that the defendant won't pay the rent. Now the defendant is saying this is simply a case of a landlord taking advantage of a disabled person. It's the case of running out on the rent.
1: Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. Okay, Marianne, uh, you rented a room out to Christopher Phillip, correct? Yes. And how long was he living with you? I know he lived with you, then he left, and, and he's come back since then, is that correct? Yes. All right, how long did he live with you the first time?
10: Uh, from um, October, November, and December.
1: Okay, um, and he was happy there? He was. And he was paying $700 a month?
10: He was supposed to be paying
1: $700. I
10: got 700 one time, all the rest of the time, somebody else was taking part of the money, almost $200.
1: Okay, but apparently at some point you've been compensated for all months except for what? What are you suing for today? Uh, I'm suing for the
10: uh, $700 for December rent for 2019. Because according to you, he didn't pay anything in December? I didn't get anything in December. Um, uh, Foster sent me a $300 money order after I filed my papers.
1: Oh, okay, but you cashed that, right? I did. Okay, I got it. You say it's for, de- that's for December. Well, let's go, l- hold on one second for me. Let's put a pin in that for a moment. Miss Foster, you recently became the representative for Mr. Phillip, correct? Yes. Why, what happened that caused a change in representative?
11: The person that he was living with, he was no longer staying there because he had been abusing alcohol because of he'd been depressed for being blind. And then he ended up in the hospital. I visited him Right, but he is your after. sister.
1: Hold on one second. He's your sister's son, right? He's your nephew. Yes. And your sister had, as his representative, an ex-boyfriend of hers, correct? Yes. Who cashed the check and then kept the money and didn't pay his rent, correct? Yes. All right, so you get wind of that, and then you become his representative, which means that the checks come to you and care of him, but you're the one who has the authority to cash them and pay his bills, correct? Yes. All right, so now when you do that, at some point you decide that living uh, at Marianne's is not good for him? No, that's not what happened. What happened was... So why did, why did Christopher move out on, on January 11th? From Marianne's,
11: he had moved out with Marianne because Marianne had said that something was going on between him and one of her tenants, somebody else that she had living there, and she wrote a letter asking that he move out. And she gave me even a time; she gave me thirty days to get him out of her house.
1: When did she give you the thirty days?
11: On January, I received the letter. January the seventh, I got the letter.
1: Okay, tell me about that, Marianne. Did you ask him to leave?
10: I did not ask him to leave. Matter of fact, he loved it living here. But with Ms. Foster, she constantly wants to move this boy somewhere, uh, New York, to a home. Did you ask
1: shelter. Christopher to move, yes or no? She says she has a letter from you, I, he saying asked, that he needs. Uh, because She told him that he was paying too much
10: money. He
1: was happy paying the 700. Ms. Foster, let me ask you a question. I'm looking at the answer to your complaint and in the answer to her to her complaint, you say January 3rd, 2020, the co-defendant Christopher notified the plaintiff that he would be moving because I was trying to get him into a better living situation. So you didn't like the living situation he was living in at Mary Ann's. Tell me what you didn't like about it.
11: Well, he wasn't happy like she said he was and. He was there all the time, most of the time by himself, or with somebody that else that was there living, taking care of him. And that's when it became a situation between him and this young lady. And after that, that's when she had called me and asked me that he had to leave and gave me a 30-day notice saying this. Can I see and the
1: 30-day notice? Do you have it in your hands, the 30-day notice?
11: Yes, it's right here.
1: Hold it, up, hold it up to the camera a little closer. Oh, that's Christopher giving her 30 days' notice, darling. And anyway, I'm
11: saying Marianne because Christopher cannot write. He's blind, and he didn't do this,
1: this, this letter. She made this letter on her computer, and she... All right, look, be that as it no may, I, you know, when I read in your answer to the complaint that you say that you didn't like the living situation there, either way, whoever gave who, whomever notice, he was living there in January until what day?
11: I picked them up January 11th. from there.
1: Okay, so, so you it. ended up sending her, once you straightened out the mess, God bless you, because, you know, you straightened out the mess with the ex-boyfriend, you got the money back, did, did he have to pay it back to Social Security or no?
11: Yes, he does. He still has to pay back Good. to the Good, I hope he day. got
1: arrested, which is what should happen. What I would like to understand is, at some point you send her $700, which according to you covers December, and then you send her $300, which is supposed to cover the days he was there in January, correct? Right, yes. No. Right, but here's the thing. Yeah. If you're there, I don't care if it's December or January. Just wait a second. Yeah. You're calling the 700 for December. It, it really doesn't matter. Because a landlord, if you live there part of the month, is entitled to the entire month. You can't. It's not a hotel. Like, you can't just say, well... Uh, you know, I, I, decided to leave on the 12th instead of the 30th. So now I'm only going to pay you up until the 12th. That's not how it works. You have to pay all of the rent. That's the law. Okay. Even on a month to month, that's the law. So you, you cashed the $300 check, correct, Marianne? Yes. So what you're missing is another $400 for you to be complete on rent, correct? Right. Okay. When I say you, I don't mean you personally, Ms. Foster, and I realize you got personally sued here. So this is not the case against you personally is dismissed. You are being sued or it's converted to a case against you as representative because that's more consistent with what the facts are here. So the case against Christopher, who you're representing here today, and uh, you as representative of Christopher, not personally, is righteous, and you guys have to pay him the other $400 to complete the rent. Now, I'm kind of curious. Where is he living now? A third party, another place? Are you happy with the place where he's living now? Yes, I am. Yes, I am happy. Okay, All's well that ends well. I'm finding in favor of the plaintiff in this case for the remaining $400 because it was an inaccurate legal assumption on your part to think that he only had to pay for the days he was there. Once you log day one of the month, you owe the landlord the rest of the month. Why? Because they can't rent it out to anybody else when you leave like that. Okay? So verdict for the plaintiff in the amount of
6: $400. So in a relatively simple case here in the people's court, the plaintiff prevails. She's going to get $400, not $700. Ms. Foster, let me ask you, you're the defendant in this case. Do you understand the judge's verdict? What do you think?
11: Yes, I understand. I agree with the
6: verdict. You agree with the verdict, you're all right. Yes, okay, I. Okay, well, all's well that ends well, and you will pay that, uh, Marianne. Let me ask you a quick question. You you had to go to court now for this to uh, you know to, to file and everything. Are you satisfied with the judge's decision? I mean, you're going to be made whole, right?
10: Yes, I am very satisfied.
6: So you're a happy camper. Well, thank you very much. Well, let us take time now to join Judge Melian and her husband, who is a judge, Judge John, for another session of After the Verdict.
7: Marilyn, in this case, uh, unfortunately, it looks like the, the landlord got shorted by about $400. Was it the 400 from December or was it from January? It, it was,
1: really doesn't matter which way you count it. For some reason, the two of them got bogged down in trying to count right. it for December or for January because they thought... I guess it was, I guess the plaintiff felt, oh, it would be worse for me because they only lived there part of the month in January. So the 700 that she got said, so I'm applying that to January, it truly doesn't matter. The bottom line is she's entitled to 700 every month that he lived there. And whether that $300 check got applied to one or the other, it all comes out in the wash and it's still the same thing. She was shorted $400 and she gets the $400.
7: And clearly uh, when you rent a place for a month, you're on the hook for the whole month. You can't say, hey, I'm gonna bail after yeah, week one. Because think
1: and- about the position that puts a landlord in. They don't have time to then re-advertise it and get somebody and not have a gap. You don't. It's not a hotel.
7: Right. It's you not a hotel. Run, you can't run an apartment like that or a building no. like that if no. you can't count on the rent for the month.
1: Right, right. right.
7: There you have it.
8: Brooke, I gotta tell you, unless your city now has a policy where they have to wear masks, I mean, what I would simply do is this, they're jerks for not wearing one in an elevator where you wanna go in, just take another elevator, just wait, it's safer, it's better.